This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, a good Saturday morning to you. Orion Samuelson here for our weekly get-together to talk about the world's most important basic industry, producing food for you and me. But, of course, farmers and ranchers now do more than produce food. They also uh, provide a roof over our head and clothes on our back. And now energy in the tank, thanks to biodiesel and ethanol and the other products that are going into powering our trains and planes and ships and vehicles and all of that. So good to have you with us here on this Saturday morning, as I mentioned to Matt, uh, back after spending time in Arizona, working with doctors at Mayo for lower back pain problems. That's enough of a medical report. And... uh, interesting time in Arizona because Arizona at Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport gets an average eight inches of rainfall a year and they had not had a major rain in the Valley of the Sun in Arizona since February 21st. But a couple of weeks ago, in a three-day period, I got two inches of rain in my backyard rain gauge out there. And the following week, another inch, inch and a half. So in a period of about two weeks, ranchers and golfers and everybody else enjoying the Arizona sun got a pretty wet Arizona sun because of the... Uh, of the rainfall, nearly half of the annual rainfall falling in a two-week period. And uh, while the locals love it, and ranchers like my rancher friend Andy Grossetta in Cottonwood, Arizona, that's north of Phoenix, really loved the rain because it revived the pastures for the cattle and uh, and did it enough so that uh, Andy and other ranchers probably won't have to buy any hay to get through the season and onto the new crop of hay. So good to be with you here on this Saturday morning, and uh, we have some interesting people to talk to. First of all, Max will be sitting down with Mike Pearson, who has been analyzing markets for, uh, well, a decade or two or three, maybe, uh, following his dad in that labor. And uh, Max is going to be talking to Mike Pearson this morning about the current weather and uh, market situation. The ongoing China-U.S. trade discussions that keep on keeping on because, uh, as I've said many times in the last year, you can't do an agricultural story and a market report dealing with grain and livestock without talking about China and the ongoing trade discussions that hopefully will uh, lead to a finish to those discussions and we can get back to talking about other things like some of the successes we've had in the trade debate finally got final approval on the U.S.-Japan trade agreement this week. That made people happy, and uh, we're still working on 
the relationship with the European Union because countries in the European Union have not been accepting some of our products because of the technology that we're using. And so we did uh, win a couple of trade situations in the past week or so. So let's hope that we continue to see that progress. Uh, One of the things that happened this week, price of oil up sharply because the OPEC countries, now called the OPEC plus countries, because it also includes Russia, this week said they're going to continue to curtail production. They are going to cut oil production by as much as 500,000 barrels per day in early 2020. The uh, group known as OPEC Plus will last with that cut in production throughout the first quarter. And then the group will meet again in early March for an extraordinary meeting to set its policy uh, for the next period. One of the interesting notes uh, in that story from the oil countries in uh, the Middle East is the fact that... uh, Higher oil prices are supporting the initial public offering of Saudi Arabia's state-owned oil company, Saudi Aramco, which priced its shares on Thursday at the top of an indicated range. The sale, hear this, the sale was the world's biggest IPO, beating Alibaba Group holding $25 billion listing in 2014, But the sale fell short of a $2 trillion valuation for Aramco sought by Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Foreign investors stayed away, and the sale uh, was restricted to Saudi individuals and regional investors. But big oil continues, and the uh, disagreement between big oil And some headline writers call it big corn, but i got to tell you, big oil, I think, is a lot bigger than big corn. So that uh, discussion and debate continues as the uh, corn market with ethanol and uh, the soy diesel uh, uh, fuel products uh, continue to compete with oil as our prime energy source. To, uh, to move the products we need to move. So, a lot going on, as there always is in the world of agriculture. But I want to talk just a little bit about what agribusiness companies are doing to uh, help farmers and producers get through another year like 2019. I am hoping that we'll be talking about 2019 for a lot of years into the future because if we don't that means we get a more challenging year than we've had this year from the standpoint of weather and trade so let's hope that uh, a couple of decades from now we'll still be talking yep you remember the crop year of 19 well i hope that'll be in the 
top history range for agricultural producers for years to come. But it's interesting to note how agribusiness companies are working with technology to make it a little easier to get through the kind of a weather year and to get through the trade discussions that we continue to have and talking to agribusiness companies uh, like Case IH. They're developing equipment that hopefully will deal with another year of rainfall at planting time, rainfall at harvest time. And uh, we had the opportunity recently to uh, sit down with Chris Lurzen. He's a tillage marketing manager for Case IH. And his division in the Case IH company working on tillage equipment to make it possible to get spring work done faster and easier than we had this year. So talking to Chris, I asked him if this technology is going to continue to bring new developments to agriculture. As we, as we look at farming and its progression, really over the last few years even, the, the level of agronomics that our customers are looking for has gone up. Uh, the, the level of productivity that they're wanting with our short seasons that we're even experiencing now in 2019, uh, they're looking for that level of productivity to get stuff done quickly. And, uh, and, and utilization of the product in more than one season, right? Give me, give me more of a, a, a machine that can be used in the spring and the fall. And that's really the advent of the speed tiller uh, high-speed disc. How high-speed is it? The, the tool is certainly capable of high speeds of, of over 12 miles an hour uh, in, in the marketplace. And you know, given the right conditions, you know, it can go faster. Um, but you know, even even uh, even some don't like to travel that fast. And and you know, the the, the speeds of even six, seven, eight, it's capable of, uh, and it still give you the same agronomic performance. You know, when I look at the a, a lot of tools like this in the marketplace, they're, they're really dependent on being high, high speed uh, in order to get a performance out of it. You know, you know we, we, could, we were able to, to travel at slower speeds for you know, folks that may not want to, but still have that high level of productivity for yeah, people of my age maybe that want to travel fast. And we've certainly changed our tillage approach because uh, the new rules that came in saying you have to have this much on the soil to keep it from blowing and keep yeah. it from washing. Yeah. Uh, so we have come a long way from my days on the farm of a two plow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, revolutionary things that have happened in soil management really over the last few years with how we manage the compaction layers and leaving some soil structure to, to, to prevent the things that you were talking about washing and such. And this tool certainly complements all of that with, uh, with still working the entire soil profile but leaving residue uh, or, or capabilities of residue on top um, you know, for, for good mixing right. and eventual breakdown. And that also comes into a cycling of nutrients, right? We, we, want, we want to be able to, to reclaim the, the, the nutrients tied up in that, you know, the mog or, or the, 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 the residue. And this tool will complement that. With the wet spring and the wet fall in 2019, we keep hearing compaction, yeah. compaction. Yeah. Anything 
working on that? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, Case IH is the really a leader in the soil management business and have tools for for you know eliminating compaction down to you know that 10, 11 right. you know place with the Ecolo Tiger 875. Uh, and at our 2500, the inline ripper. Uh, but you know, this tool that we're talking about, the speed tiller, is, is really that surface compaction uh, removal tool, right? So, you know, you're traveling over your fields in the spring or the fall, you may only get some compaction at that surface, and you need that, that to be removed uh, for, for a good uh, root development. And of course, uh, seed to soil contact when you place that seed. And that speed tiller is capable of that with uh, you know, one, two, three inches deep and give us that ideal soil profile, both at the surface and that subsurface, and, and creating a flat floor to place that seed. And our thanks to Chris Lurzen for sharing that information on new tillage equipment and new work to uh, improve tillage without losing the soil to water and wind uh, in the off-crop season. So uh, that's what's going on agriculturally uh, from the standpoint of research. And uh, I'm grateful that companies, uh, whether it be crop protection companies, seed companies, or farm equipment companies, are continuing to work to keep that equipment and to keep that uh, available uh, products for agriculture to help farmers and ranchers produce the food that we need. More to come here on the Saturday Morning Show. 24 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. And uh, now that we're pretty well wrapped on the uh, 2019 crop year, and approaching the holiday season, markets will change, of course, because there will be fewer traders on the floor with a lot of traders taking days off during the holiday season. But uh, Farm Bureau state conventions certainly underway here in the Midwest. And uh, starting today, the Illinois Farm Bureau members will be coming to Chicago their annual convention takes place starting today with preliminary activity, and then uh, they'll be meeting into early next week, determining policy that they ultimately will take to the American Farm Bureau Convention in Austin, Texas, early in the new year of 2020. But uh, Wisconsin Farm Bureau is on now. It's uh, wrapping up. And uh, that took place at uh, Kalahari uh, Water Resort in Wisconsin Dells. The Illinois Farm Bureau will hold its meeting uh, into early next week, and that will be at the Palmer House here in Chicago. So if you uh, run across some people looking like they don't spend a lot of time downtown in the loop, say hello to them. You'll probably be shaking hands with farm producers, men and women, and young people involved in putting food on our dinner table every day of the week. Also want to note that uh, the Farm Bureau Convention is scheduled for early next week, uh, next year, the American Farm Bureau. That will be in Austin, Texas. Max Armstrong will be attending that convention in Austin, and he'll also be involved in the program in Wisconsin Dells. 
and uh, later on, December 12 through 14, he'll be attending the Indiana Farm Bureau State Convention in French Lake. It's uh, an interesting case of going to court again. But farmers, it seems like to me, are spending more time in the courtroom often than they are in the fields. The National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation have filed a legal challenge to California Proposition 12. That imposes animal housing standards that reach outside of California's borders to farms across the United States and beyond. And according to the lawsuit, Proposition 12 revolves around a set of arbitrary standards that lack any scientific, technical, or agricultural basis and will only serve to inflict further harm on U.S. hog farmers. That, according to Jen Sorensen, who is the vice president of the National Pork Producers Council, went on to say that California represents approximately 15% of the U.S. pork market, and Proposition 12 will force hog farmers who want to sell pork into California to switch to alternative housing systems at a really significant cost to their business. U.S. pork producers, of course, already fighting to expand market opportunities overseas, and he said we shouldn't have to fight to preserve our domestic market, too. And that law was sold to California voters as a solution to improve animal welfare and food safety, but it has nothing to do with food safety, and many animals will suffer more injury and illness under the arbitrary rules. And there's also a long-standing rule that says states can't set barriers to trade in the United States, trade with each other. And that's what uh, the National Pork Producers and the American Farm Bureau Federation are saying that California did with Proposition 12. So, always controversy and spending time in the courtroom rather than spending time in the feedlot or the grain fields. That seems to be the other challenge facing agriculture today. Along with uh, the on one day, down the next day information and feelings and statements on the trade debate between China and the United States. So let's hope we get out of the courtroom and are able to do what we do so well, and that's to produce food. Also coming up is the 96th, are you ready for this? The 96th Agricultural Outlook Forum program. That takes place February 20 and 21 in Arlington, Virginia. The theme Something we've been talking about this morning, the innovation imperative shaping the future of agriculture. We'll talk more about that as that date approaches in February. But right now, we'll take a quick break for news and uh, stay with us. It is 27 minutes before 6 o'clock. My thermometer in Huntley, Illinois says 27 degrees this morning. And that's what the weather situation is. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. 
But right now, as we continue the Saturday morning show, welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week talking about the new rules for the food stamp program. Well, this week, more controversy in the agricultural food industry because the Trump administration announced its final rule to move more able-bodied recipients of the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program towards self-sufficiency and into employment. According to the administration, the rule restores the system to what Congress intended assistance through difficult times and not a way of life. But let me give you a little history on the program, because back in 1996, when then-President Bill Clinton signed welfare reform, instituting the current work requirements for able-bodied adults without dependents, and that's important to make that designation again, These are work requirements for able-bodied adults without dependents. And this is what President Bill Clinton said when that was put into law. He said, quote, First and foremost, it should be about moving people from welfare to work. It should impose time limits on welfare. It gives structure, meaning, and dignity to most of our lives. Those were the words of President Trump when the food stamp program was introduced back in the late 90s. Well, it's still in effect, but it has a new name. It's now called SNAP. It's Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. But again, it works on the intention of helping people who are going through uh, tough times. And as was said by the uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Uh, Sonny Perdue, he said, Americans are generous people who believe it is their responsibility to help their fellow citizens when they encounter a difficult stretch. Government can be a powerful force for good, but government dependency has never been the American dream. We need to encourage people by giving them a helping hand, but not allowing it to become an indefinite a giving hand. Well, the reaction to that and the criticism from that came quickly because after the announcement was made, uh, well, speaking on behalf of the Democratic uh, uh, members of Congress, Marsha Fudge, a Democratic congresswoman from Ohio, said the decision to finalize a rule jeopardizing the food security of nearly Two million of our poorest and most vulnerable citizens reveals this administration's callous and cruel intentions. This is is an unacceptable escalation of the administration's war on voting families. But again, what the rule is saying is if you are able-bodied, without dependents, you should be looking for work, looking for a job to take you off the welfare roll and put you into the working community. That's the controversy on the food for needy people situation. I'd be interested to get your feelings on this one. Uh, Should there be new, stronger rules, 
or should the SNAP program continue as the administration and a lot of people think it should be? I would really be interested to know what you think. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. 22 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. And uh, we're going to look ahead to the World Dairy Expo. Now, that's really looking ahead because that will happen next October. But World Dairy Expo this week announced the judges that will be judging the top dairy cattle in the world next October in Madison, Wisconsin. So we'll get to that. But before we get to that, Max Armstrong will check in with Mike Pearson to talk about markets when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, sitting at the microphone with me this weekend, a familiar face and voice from Zaner in Chicago, Mike Pearson. Glad to be back, Max. Always excited to talk about what's happening in the markets, what's happening in the world of agriculture. I wanted to tap your brain a little bit because you've been out at farmer meetings. You've been at Farm Bureau annual meetings. I have been. I have been. In the past two weeks, I had the chance to go to South Dakota and Iowa for their annual conventions. And I tell you what, in both places, there are still a lot of growers out there really struggling to get through 2019. Uh, South Dakota, the, the meeting was held in Sioux Falls, which was right at the epicenter of prevent plant catastrophe from this spring. So I was talking to a lot of growers asking how harvest is going. And they're like, well, we never got anything planted. So harvest is is done. But there was an equal mix of growers, especially from that northern tier of counties that, as of two weeks ago, still had a lot of corn standing, uh, standing through snowstorms, knock on wood. But they were frustrated because there just hadn't been a hard freeze to really get the combines out and running. Uh, you know, there, you get frost four or five inches down, the sun comes out, you get that layer of grease on the top and, and nothing can get accomplished. There was a lot of frustration in South Dakota and similar story in Iowa. A lot of growers in Iowa still dealing with propane issues, uh, still not able to get delivery. And it sounds like it's a little spottier now than it was earlier when it was kind of a blanket uh, unavailability of propane. But it's it's been a tough, tough harvest season for a lot of folks. So did you get any feeling about the economy and, and how they feel about their situation, especially looking ahead towards some discussions with bankers this winter? You know, by and large, the consensus was that with the market facilitation payments, uh, payments are going to be able to be made. You know, as we get into renewal season with their ag lenders, they're going to have, I think, tougher conversations this year, especially those folks that are still going to have corn standing, because how are you going to account for that on a balance sheet, especially if it's not something you've ever done before? You know, what's the lender going to think about that? But by and large, I would say, despite the present frustrations, Max, there seems to be quite a bit of optimism. And that's driven in no small part by the government payments that have gone out this year that have really enabled folks to keep the wheels turning. Now, I will follow up with this question because I'm going to be at State Farm Bureau meetings, well, this weekend and another one next weekend, Wisconsin and Indiana. Mm. Is it dangerous to judge the farm economy from what you hear among Farm Bureau members? Well, I would say it's it's always a challenge to judge an economy based on anecdotal evidence, whether you're talking to Farm Bureau folks, whether you're talking to anybody, but... Um, the general consensus, whether you're you're talking to growers or, or elsewhere, is that, yeah, we've got it bad, but my neighbor's got it worse. You know, I mean, there's always that sort of bias you run into when you're discussing 
economic issues with individual people. So yeah, I, I would say don't read a whole lot into it, but it's definitely worth getting a feel from the ground and the frustrations are present. That's, I think, the moral of the story is everybody's ready for 2019 to come to an end. That corn standing out of the field out there. I've seen an estimate there are probably 9 million acres. Now, you're talking about the states of North Dakota, Michigan, and Wisconsin. But then, as you pointed out, you have to throw in Ohio, the 3i League as well. Yeah, uh, There's South still corn out there. There is. Yeah. There is. It does sound like growers are starting to get it wrapped up. Um, again, North Dakota, Michigan, Wisconsin, those places are the exception. It's going to be a real struggle. I did hear some good news, which was that Western South Dakota, Western North Dakota due to all the moisture this year, they had ample hay production, which is, I think, something that should be positive news for a lot of our listeners or a lot of our viewers out there in Wisconsin, the dairymen in particular who have really struggled to put up a forage crop this year. There does sound like there's ample stocks of hay. It's just going really? to be expensive to get it mm. trucked from Wyoming, western South Dakota, western North Dakota, Montana, to the places that are going to need it, which... I, from the folks I've talked to, sound predominantly like dairy country in those that northern Corn Belt mix. Coming back to that uh, discussion about the economic challenges of mm -hmm. farmers, and especially the discussions with bankers, I saw your opinion the other day in a tweet that you don't feel there will be MFP payments in 2020. I'm getting awfully nervous about it. You know what I'm... I was... Tell me why. Well, because there have been a lot of studies. In fact, there have been four studies done here over the past month and a half that have shown that the economic impact of those MFP payments overvalued the damage of the trade war to soybeans. Now, I've talked to growers in North Dakota who felt like they were tremendously undervalued when it came to those MFP payments. So we can discuss the merits all we want. But when it comes to making policy maxes, you well know, once these things get in the hand of legislators, studies like this, it makes it really hard to go back hat in hand and say, hey, we need it again because we're still struggling out on the farm. So I am very nervous that we're either not going to see uh, MFP payments come through in the future, or if we do, they're probably going to wind up being substantially reduced, which is going to make that will make a lot of lenders nervous. As you know, there are a lot of rabbits that can be pulled out of the hat by an incumbent administration. We see it, whether they're not, uh, it's a Republican in the White House right. or someone who is a Democrat in, in the White House, too. There could be those things, could there not, in 2020? Well, absolutely. And that was that was MFP this year. It was kind of a rabbit that was pulled out of a hat. They were funding it through the Commodity Credit Corporation, which is, you know, a New Deal era program. You know, they're they're moving a bunch of levers to make sure this money gets out. If there is going to be a year where payments do go out, I think you're exactly right. It will be during an election year, especially if we don't have a trade deal in place with China, which is sounding less and less likely. President Trump tweeted earlier this week that he is more than happy to wait until after the 2020 election before inking even phase one of a trade deal. And uh, without something like that in place, it's going to be tough for these markets to find a good reason to rally, given that we've just got tremendous oversupply in Nearly every commodity out there, Max. You see any weather challenges in the Southern Hemisphere, or are they doing just fine at the moment? Yeah, so far, they're doing just fine. So we just have a complete lack of headlines. Next week, uh, next Tuesday, we'll get the December USDA WASDE report. Usually, it's a snooze fest from USDA. Not expecting anything different this year, but, you know, everything's crazy this year. I'd, I'd love to be proved wrong. Love to see them reduce uh, corn stocks somehow, either through acreage or through yield. But uh, it's just... I'd hate to hang my hat on a bold prediction coming out of USDA in December. 
Final crop production numbers, actual for the year, are not due until January 10th. That's right. right. That's right. So that's when we'll get the final from the USDA. And maybe that will be the next thing to move these markets if we get a bullish revision on either corn or soybean stocks somehow. But it's just going to be a tough slog until then. There really isn't a lot of news that can move these markets one way or the other. Not a lot of bullish news out there, but the good news is most of the bearish news is already priced in. So maybe there's not a whole lot of downside as we're looking out at these uh, these commodity markets right now. Max. So in summary, uh, other than maybe some kind of a developing weather problem that pops up here in the waning weeks of 2019 of the Southern Hemisphere, don't hold your breath for a Santa Claus rally. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold your breath. I think on the cattle side, maybe it's a little bit of a different picture. Uh, we have seen cattle pull back off their recent rally, but they do appear to be finding solid ground again. We've got the Tyson plant in Kansas coming back online. That brings more buyers into the cash market. That should be strengthening the uh, the futures trade right there. But um, yeah, on the grain side, I just have a tough time gazing into my crystal ball here, Max, of finding anything that can move us bigly one way or another. Global demand for beef looks good right now. And pork. Looks fantastic. Chinese demand for beef is off the charts. As Chinese pork prices have exploded due to their deaths with African swine fever, um, they have switched to beef in a large way. Now, a lot of that demand has gone to South America. Uh, In fact, one of the big winners is Minerva, which is the third largest uh, South American packing plant. Their stock price is up 208% on the year because they've captured a lot of this Chinese demand. The good news is, I think, longer term, once consumers develop a taste for beef, especially quality beef, which is what we do raise here in the Western Hemisphere, I would argue that American beef is much higher quality than South American beef. But once the Chinese consumer gets that taste, I think they're going to keep coming back for it. And I think we're going to see beef stay on plates in China long term. Mike, we appreciate the visit. Always, Max. Happy to be here. Deck the halls and have a good time uh, during the holiday period. Always good to see you. Good to see you, too. Mike Pearson with Zayner in Chicago, joining us here in the studio this weekend. Five and a half minutes before six o'clock, 27 degrees or right around that here in our WGN Chicagoland area. And for those of you who like to really plan ahead, let's take you up to September 29 and October 3 of 2020. Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo. This week, the Dairy Expo named the official judges for the 2020 show of the world's finest uh, dairy cattle. And here are the names of the judges who will be placing and judging the dairy cattle uh, at uh, World Dairy Expo. About 2,300 cattle will be involved in that show next October. Judging the International Airshare Show, Michael Creek of Hagerstown, Maryland. International Brown Swiss Show, Lynn Harbaugh of Marion, Wisconsin. International Guernsey Show, Molly Sloan of Columbus, Wisconsin. International Holstein Show, Mike Berry of Albany, Oregon. The International Junior Holstein Show, Brandon Ferry of Hilbert, Wisconsin. International Jersey Show will be judged by Chad Ryan of Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. The International Milking Shorthorn Show, Dean Dole of Halfway, Missouri. And the International Red and White Show will be judged by Pierre Boulet of Quebec, Canada. And that will be the judging panel 
for the North American World Dairy Expo, bringing the latest in dairy innovation and the best cattle in North America. Crowds of about 62,000 from nearly 100 countries will be in Madison for the 54th annual event, September 29 through October 3. Well, as we take a look at where the markets ended the week, let's check livestock first of all. Hog futures rose to their highest level in more than two weeks yesterday on renewed hopes. Here it is again for a trade deal with Beijing and for increased pork sales to China. China said it will waive import tariffs for some U.S. soybean and pork shipments as the two countries try to work out that agreement to defuse their protracted trade war. A trade deal could increase U.S. pork sales to China as Beijing has imposed levies of up to 72% on American pork in response to tariffs loss uh, launched by Washington. So at the end of the day yesterday, the February lean hog contract uh, dropped 20 cents a hundredweight, $67.55. But December cattle ended 40 cents a hundredweight higher yesterday at $120.20. And the January feeder cattle contract up a dollar and a quarter yesterday at 141.55. The grain market also impacted by that move by China to uh, uh, cut back on the tariffs. China said it would waive import tariffs for some American farm products, and that renewed optimism for a possible trade agreement between Washington and Beijing. So yesterday, the closing prices to wrap up the week looked like this at the Chicago Board of Trade. The December wheat contract down three cents a bushel yesterday, ending the week at $5.32.50. But December corn gained a penny in yesterday's trade to close at three sixty six and a half a bushel. January soybeans up four and three quarter cents yesterday, ending the day and the week at eight dollars eighty nine and a half cents a bushel. So those are the price numbers that we'll start trading on Monday. And again, we're now coming into the full holiday trading season. So that will mean uh, shutdowns for Christmas and for New Year's in our trade, not only in agricultural trade, but also in the stock market. And it looks like maybe this week uh, we'll get an update from the Trump administration on how we're going to deal with the waivers in the biofuel debate. Trump administration sees relying more on partial exemptions to ethanol blending requirements as a potential key solution to a debate on U.S. biofuels policy that has put big oil against big corn. That's our time for this morning, for this week here on the Saturday Morning Show. Thanks to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering. And thank you for listening to the Saturday Morning Show. 
Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720. 